coach, Tony Blauer. Thanks for being on Radiant Creators. Here on the show, we try to interview inspiring people to inspire others. And Tony Blauer is someone who's been inspired to help people, well, learn how to defend themselves and also deal with fear. Not just be fearful, but no fear, K-N-O-W, fear. And yeah. so we are living in a more fearful time, I think, at least from my perspective, maybe even a more dangerous time than it has been previously with all the upheaval that we're having, especially politically in this country. So with increased violence and fear, how is Tony Blair, the motivated man of 43 years, hanging in there? Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, man. I, listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing... All things considered, we're doing we're doing really good, you know. Knock on wood, healthy, happy. Uh, you know, it, it was it was scary for a little bit. Most of my business is in person, live seminars from our. We've got we've got you know four main divisions. We do uh, military training. We do uh, law enforcement training. We train. We have a program where we train martial arts instructors in our particular uh, methodology, and then we do stuff for the general public. So there are four divisions. Well, guess what? all of them were live in-person seminars. So, you know, suddenly with the lockdown and, and you know, you can't get six feet people, you gotta wear masks, all of, our, all of our seminars got shut down. And as a guy, you know, in, in, we have a whole other division called No Fear, K-N-O-W Fear, which is, uh, you know, corporate and, and performance coaching. And uh, so as a fear management expert, I, I was suddenly thrust in the fear loop where it occurred to me, man, I might lose everything I built. You know, I've been teaching now for 43 years. And uh, it was like, I was sitting there one day in my office and I was like thinking, holy shit, I could lose my house. I won't be able to provide for my family. And it got really scary for about 24 hours. And uh, why I say 24 hours is because I, I whined and bitched and bemoaned my what bad luck and all this shit which is what we do. We get selfish when we get scared. It's like, why me? Why me? Why me? Uh, and, uh, but then I figured, well, you know, the maxim, like no one's coming to save you. How do you, you know, what, what are you going to do? Fortunately, I know this guy that specializes in fear management, right? Kind of intimately. And what I did is I, I, I ironically, and it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful serendipitous story I took everything that I've been studying for decades and just applied it to me, my company, my team. And, you know, we, we built four new websites. We went digital. We started doing online training and we've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, but we made enough that I didn't lose my house and that I could still feed my kids and I didn't have to close my company. So, you know, we worked our ass off for that. So to, to answer your question, I wanted to pre-brief everybody just to understand that like, like this wasn't like easy for me. Um, and, uh, that has fired me up more because like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, well, I won this lottery and now I'm, you know, donating money to people who need it. It wasn't, it was really sweat equity and years of, of, of work. And now it's like, I'm going to apply all that to rescue me, my company, my team, my family, of course. And then because we were forced like everyone else in the world to start doing things online, right? Uh, that story and that message, I just had a one-on-one -on -one call with somebody yesterday who, who's, who was part of our, we have a garage gym program where we teach our self-defense in like here, and this is actually the, the location. And uh, 
and he's a cop from Florida who, because of all the, the closures, even though Florida is pretty open compared to a lot of states, a lot of his other uh, contracts that help him and his family thrive got canceled. So he was struggling and just on his police salary, it, like he couldn't make it. And, and he told me yesterday, he said, watching how I pivoted and built this business on Zoom and interacting and, and talking, that it inspired him to start doing that. And now he's consulting online and all that just to say, like, that's, like, that's the shit that fires me up, man, is that, that we can help each other online, we can inspire each other. And uh, if you've got an open mind and you're coachable, you can make things happen. And, and, and what's necessary to change is, of course, your idea. And people hate change, right? This idea, but this is the way I used to do this. This isn't fair. And, you know, I, I have a maxim when I'm teaching self-defense. I say violence doesn't care. Violence doesn't care what martial art you like. Violence doesn't care if you're a liberal or Republican. Violence doesn't care if you're an atheist or you're, you know, very religious. It just happens, right? And in business, the market doesn't care. The market doesn't care that, that you had a store and you're used to traffic. Like, shit happens. And it sucks. It's awful. So when you ask me, how am I doing? How do I maintain my enthusiasm, my energy? I've always had this type of energy that, I'm, that you're feeling through Zoom right now. But I will tell you this. This year, what I've been, what I've been building since the 80s has more value, and you said it in your intro, that given uh, tensions, political tensions, emotional tensions, the idea of being able to uh, improve your situational awareness and go, yeah, like that doesn't look like I should go down that street right now. Your ability to manage your own fear, to verbally uh, defuse and de-escalate situations because people are, are jacked up right now. And then a push comes to shove, how the hell do you protect yourself and your family? All of those skill sets have never been as relevant in a global sense as they are, as they are today, you know? And, and, it's, and it's funny, Craig, I, I talk about this, uh, you know, in, in every podcast, it sort of comes up where someone goes, yeah, but you know, there were other times in history when, and what about this in history and history repeats itself. And, and I always tell people like, we can learn a lot from history, but the reality is this is our history. We can look back and go, well, in 1917, they had the Spanish flu and they did this and we got to do, we can learn from that. But the reality is this is our history. How are we going to behave now? When people look back at pictures of, of us, videos of us, how are we behaving? And when I, when I peel that onion and I get to the core of all of that, I'm still left with the whole, how do you manage fear? And I tell people, you know, fear throttles everything we do from who we talk to, therefore who we marry, how much weight you lift, from how much money you make, from, from you know, whether you say no or yes too often. Like it's everything uh, to whether or not you're going to defend yourself. When I ask somebody, why didn't you say something? They can, they can massage it with whatever semantics. Well, you know, I just didn't want and I didn't want to be the person who said that. But if you peel the onion down, if you get some sort of truth serum in them, they will ultimately say something like, I was afraid that if. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, fear manipulates our behavior. And if you don't have the self-awareness to recognize that, then you continue with a certain type of behavior or you're just left going, well, I guess that's just the way the cookie crumbles or I had bad luck that day or that's the way it rolls, you know, but we only feel fear when something outside of our comfort zone or something that we, right, we have, a, we have an unconscious bias how we want things to turn out. Mm. And, uh, but it impacts everything. Like you could be late for a meeting and now you're in traffic and you're like, shit, fuck, you know, like, why are you so angry? I'm gonna be late for this meeting. Honk, 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 like in your, and now forget the cortisol buildup and everything, but your whole situational awareness for everything about you changes. And you've seen that, you've probably done it, you're human, or someone comes into a meeting or house and they're like, body language is 60% of communication. They come in like, and you're like, whoa, what is wrong with you? Nothing, why, right? All of this builds up and it, 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 when we unravel it, there's almost always some connection to our relationship with fear. And we don't practice with fear. And that's something I like in your uh, training is that you do go after the mindset. I definitely, I say almost first, because I think that uh, one of the things that really struck me in your, uh, one of the uh, presentations you've got was how you mentioned you, uh, as you got into boxing, you didn't like to spar. Is that correct? There was a bit of fear there. And for myself, you know, I, I like doing Krav, Krav Maga. That's something yeah. I like doing. And so, of course, in that, you've got a lot of jiu-jitsu, a lot of, you know, boxing. Uh, and so, you know, when I go to the uh, combatives classes where we really go, we dive deep, we get violent, we spar, we have gear, etc. you know, and of course, there's some, some level of control. We're not trying to kill each other, but I find that to be damn fearful. I don't like it, you know, but nothing, there's nothing that makes me better than that. And you learn a lot about yourself by getting punched in the face. I mean, it's like a PhD right there. And so I find that on a regular basis, hanging out with violence and fear, because there's nothing, I think when you're sparring, at least to me, there's nothing you're thinking about other than not getting punched in the face. Right. <laughs> at least for myself right. and, it, and it's all you're thinking about but at the same time you're spending time building your relationship with fear building your relationship with violence and so now getting hit not a big deal you're used to it most people completely are not used to it uh, and i think that's one of the things with your training is that you also get into that mental aspect it seems like you start there to kind of condition the people to get ready for that and experience that because i think that if you build that mental training that that mental mindset uh it's just so important and you, and you do seem to start there is that is that true because i think many people will say hey how do i get out of a headlock or how do i do this or how do i do that right. and it's the same as somebody like you know w walking up to you with a loaded gun and asking you how do you shoot it you say well, right. we don't we don't start there <laughs> right yeah, there's there. No, you're right. And that, that process, that adaptation is called stress inoculation, big fancy mm. word, uh, where you do it enough and your body gets stress inoculated. There's, you got to be, uh, I mean, I get really neurosciencey, geeky, and that's and, good. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I don't mean to lose anybody if I, you know, but the, the, so what can happen, there's a maxim that I share when I'm training trainers. I tell them, be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. Mm. Be careful what you practice. You might get really good at the wrong thing. What that means is every time you do a rep, 
you're training your neuron to move your body mind a certain way. And every time you do that, you develop you, uh, uh, myelin, a myelin sheath gets wrapped around those neurons and that helps the speed of that signal. The risk is if you do something in too coordinated slash choreographed of a, of a, uh, a method, you create a neural program to move that way. So if you do, okay, guys, we're going to do defense against the headlock at speed. And then once you get out of the headlock, that guy's going to have a gun over here. And then you're going to jump over there and do that. We're going to like, you know, we're going to merry go round like these, you know, what happens is that starts to become a program in the brain. And so there's a risk that the neurons, the what's called the anticipatory cells, are starting to anticipate that next position. And now you're already moving there, even if the target or the weapon isn't in position. So this is very, very, again, nerdy, geeky neuroscience stuff. It's good. No, it's great. Yeah. But it's so... So, but let me go back to what you said, going to the combatives class where you're forced to spar, what you're doing is you're practicing violence and you can't practice violence without exposing yourself to fear. And you, the adaptation of like, you know, eventually you might, you might, depends on your personality, get to the point where you go, my favorite class to go to is the combatives class, where now it might be like, okay, Combatives class, let's go, let's do this. Like you're you're talking yourself into it. Um, and you can see personalities, like if you've got, you know, somebody who's boxed before, done rugby before, judo before, has, has actually had an athletic experience where they're colliding with another human, they probably look forward to the combatives class where someone, let's say like you and I, who are, you know, like we're going there and we're, we, we haven't had that impact training we go in there and we're like, so you're going to kick me in the face? Okay. <laughs> and right. And yeah. listen, there, there are people in your school who avoid that. They sabotage. Yes. They're like, if, if let's say combatives is Friday night. Oh no, I got dinner again. Oh, it's somebody's birthday. I've got, there's always a reason that comes up. Yeah. My back's hurting me today. I'm just going to watch. Right. Uh, and that is fear manipulating us. And so, uh, but there's like, there's, there's the part of it where I go, where I, I say, I, I was I, like in our no fear course, we tell people fear is contagious, but so is courage. Mm. Okay. So if you're, let's say you and I are buddies and uh, I, you show up to combat his class or anything, skydiving, uh, swimming, going for a long run, doing something that's outside your comfort zone. Remember I said earlier, we get a fear spike we get the sensation of fear when um, when something's outside our comfort zone. We're like, and we start to like, we develop either performance anxiety or some sort of like, we're visualizing like, am I good at this? Can I do this? What if I fuck up? Whatever it is, and um, and you're now you're in this fear state and you're hesitating. So fear always creates doubt. Doubt always creates hesitation. Hesitation always creates, moves into procrastination. Those three unchecked, and those all have a negative connotation. Unchecked, that becomes fixation. So I say to you, like, let's say, uh, I tell you, um, 
Craig, you got to fire that guy. Mm. You go, well, you hired him. I go, no, no, no. I know him. You got to fire him. Go ahead. Do it now. I don't want to pay him another day. And then I come in your office and you're like sitting there like this. I'm going, dude, why didn't you call him? So using this, nobody, we could say, well, why are you hesitating? Well, I don't like confrontations. You fire him. No, you fire him. You fire him. I'm giving a good, I'm switching channels, giving your audience a completely different example and something people can, can relate to. Um, why are you, why are you hesitating? If you knew there were like, that it was just conversation. Yeah. I'd like to, um, let's order a salad and pizza for lunch. Bob, you're fired. And uh, John, like, like if it was that simple, it, like it would just be, it would just be done like that. But it's not. What happens is we start feeling bad for the person. We're worrying that. And some of us might be going, what if they go nuts? What if they punch me? What if they come back with a gun? What if uh, they sue us? What if they, all of these are negative thoughts that we're entertaining, entertaining at a, at a, a non-conscious level or a conscious level. If I say, Craig, why haven't you fired the person? You go, look, you know, I've seen that guy lose his temper on his computer a couple of times. Like, I like, like, I, can we fire him by text? Can he not come in? Can we, and people think these things, right? And again, giving a cartoony example, but that's doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation creates procrastination. Procrastination unchecked becomes fixation. Fixation becomes non-clinical anxiety. And depending on the, depending on the threat and the confrontation, it can, for some people, evolve into some sort of anxiety, mm -hmm. right? All of this is remedied, and I know that's a big, big term. It's remedied without medication, without deep therapy, when you change your relationship with fear. And you do that by improving your self-awareness because self-awareness is required for critical thinking. You can't have critical thinking where you go, why am I hesitating? Because our protective self will go, I'm not hesitating. Go fire him, Craig. Soon, I'm not ready. You know, is, what's, what are you thinking about? I'm worried that he's going to go postal. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Okay. Well, how would you say this to him in a way that would ensure that that didn't happen? Or if you're really worried about that, let's do it together. Or let's meet him outside. Let's, let's find him another job first. Let's give him a reference letter, right? A lot of it is how, like, you go to a, a restaurant and, and your food looks nothing like the, the, the menu, the picture in the menu. And you can go, you know, you, you look at the plate, you call the waiter over and you go, hey, dude, the fuck kind of shit show are you guys running back in the kitchen? Look at this picture here. Look at this here. This is fucking horrible. Go tell the, go tell the chef that if he doesn't make this right, I'm never coming back here. Well, probably you're going to get some extra sauce or some extra ingredients in your food, right? Because you're like, because you're being a complete asshole talking to the waiter. So in part of our program, we talk about this, the, the science and psychology of de-escalation, of conscience and accountability, of rapport and all this stuff. But that requires critical thinking. And if I don't have self-awareness, I can't have effective situational awareness. All of this ties together with me, you know, like, people send me these videos of like people getting caught in like peaceful protests, right? Yes. You guys, you saw the air quotes? Yes, peaceful, <laughs> peaceful. Protests, right? Right? And my first thing is like, how the fuck did you not notice 5,000 people and the fire and the sirens and drive down that street or walk down that street? 
So there are people who have no self-awareness that they can't have effective uh, situational awareness, right? Yes. But all of this, all of this is revealed in studying and changing your relationship with fear, which is when you talk about like, how do I get fired up every day? How do I, how do I, you know, about my enthusiasm and stuff like this is if you said, Hey, Tony, I did some more like checking out, like, holy shit, dude, you're like this pioneer fucking combatives guy. You work with tier one units. You do that. Like, wow. You know, I, I can only take one of your courses, like put on the high gear suit and let's do scenarios. That sounds like the most badass thing, like replicating scenarios and gun takeaways and holy shit. Or talk to me for an hour about fear management. Guess which one I would do with you? The fear management. Mm-hmm. Because you can learn how to punch. You can learn how to do the spear system. You can learn elbows. You can learn grappling and jujitsu. But if you shit your pants before you need to pull the metaphoric trigger, it didn't matter what was in your toolbox. It's that simple. The mind navigates the body. You need to be able to, the, the, and so the neural, the, like the, 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 the psychophysical response time, the neuromuscular communication, palm strike that person in the face now, holy shit, we should run. That is a cognitive choice, right? Even though people like to talk about fight or flight, when you tell yourself, dude, we got to get out of here, that's cognitive, right? Mm. It takes courage to make that decision. You got to think about that. And anything that takes courage has to marinate in fear first. That's such a heavy concept. You can't, listen to this, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Mm -hmm. That's a mind-blowing, like, to me, that's an epiphany, light bulb moment. And in our No Fear program, it's one of the, it's one of the, the main maxims that we tell people. Understand that you can't be brave if you're not afraid. That if somebody does something where you go, wow, that was so courageous of you. And they go, oh no, I was actually hoping I was going to die during that. Oh, wow, that's so courageous of you. No, 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 I like burning, running into burning buildings. Wow. Hey, that was courageous of you when you jumped out of that airplane with that, that parachute. No, 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 I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm sponsored by Red Bull. Fucking love jumping out of airplanes. Like all of those examples, I'm not knocking anybody, but all if you're not a, afraid to do what you're about to do, then it doesn't require courage. You're doing it for the dopamine hit. But if you're afraid of heights and you jump out of an airplane, that takes courage. If you are afraid to die in a fire and now you're a fireman and you go, I got this calling to to help people to serve. And I wanna be a fireman. And now there's a big fire and I, I do my box breathing and I think about what I gotta focus on. And I go, here we go, let's go. And I'm controlling myself, my shirt, fuck fear. Yes. Face it understand it, control it, now you know it. Fuck fear is the acronym, it's, it's, a, it's the formula to get to know fear. I've got to face the fear. By facing it, I begin to change my relationship through understanding it. I'm like, oh, yeah, getting punched in the face hurts, so that's why I should learn slipping and blocking and parrying. Oh, now that's more important, I understand that, right? Yes. I also get hit and I realize I'm more resilient than I thought I was. I thought I was going to break and I'm okay. Right. I start to learn things about myself. And now when I decide to go to class, you'll get to the point, Craig, where you go, 
I'm okay with getting hit. I don't want to. And every time I get hit, I learn more about myself. How, what's yes. my, what's the, what's my refractory time, which is a fancy word for the gap time between stimulus and response. So I get hit. How quickly can I get back in the fight? Right. Yeah. And so there's all these like little nuances, but if you can compartmentalize them and you, and you need to really understand like neuroscience and psychology a little bit more, you can start to extract very cool little experiences, right? From every event. When you don't know a lot, it's just, you get hit and you're like, ah, what should I do? Like, you're like, whoa, right in the beginning. And you slowly, you'll, you'll get to the point where I've been hit really fucking hard. I where I get hit and I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, I go, whoa, that was hard. And I'll look at the guy and I go, that was a really good shot, man. Right. Where yes. five years ago, I might've gone, okay, hold on a second. Fuck. And then I'm walking around like going, fuck shit. Oh, is my nose broken? No, you're okay. Okay. Give me a minute. Right. And you're like, you got to take that minute, right? That's stress inoculation. You stay in there. Right. Mm. It's, like, it's like doing an ice bath. You put your foot in slowly and you take it out, you you're not gonna go back in. Like you've got to go in there and you gotta go, this always sucks and then it gets better. And that's how you like approach sparring. This this sucks and it'll get better. Anything in stress inoculation. Firing like people, that. right? Yeah. If you have a, if you're in human resources and you have to fire a lot of people, it gets better, you know, like <laughs> it always sucks, but it gets better. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And you do learn a lot about yourself. And is I think one thing that, that why I keep doing it, like why I will continue to spar is there's also a huge motivation because it makes you better. I haven't found anything that makes me better faster than that. Like right. someone can tell you to keep your hands up all day long, just get one good punch in the face and you'll keep your hands up. Yeah. I don't ha no one has to tell me to do that anymore, but I never, right. I, I never, you know, I dropped my hands when I kicked, when I did this, when I did that. But once you spar with somebody who's good and you drop your hands when you kick, you're going to be on the floor. And then you go, okay, I will from this day forward forever keep my hands up when yeah, I Yeah, there's, there's an expression, pain is the mother of invention. It is. Pain is the mother of invention, yeah. So, <laughs> well, Here's a question for you. Um, it's something I hear a lot when it comes to self-defense and and the capability of the male and the female body. I hear a lot that women are at this big disadvantage when it comes to self-defense. And I get it that men might in general be stronger, but something that I've noticed is I know a lot of women who are great boxers, who are great grapplers, and especially the ones that are really great boxers, it reminds me of what uh, Amy, the founder of Krav Maga said, you know, a three-year-old's fist is mightier than any man's balls. And so I think that, I just don't think that's necessarily true. And it seems to be something which people take for granted, but I'm not sure if women are at such a disadvantage, especially when you look at being a, an airbag, like you mentioned, explosive action, uh, if you're a good boxer, it seems that a woman with any conditioning, with some training, who spent some time sparring, is gonna maybe beat your average guy. Because for one thing, who says men are stronger right now? This is not the 50s, it's not the 70s. A lot of men look like an A-frame house, and I don't see men in general really being <laughs> really, stronger than ladies. Dude, dude, it's like you know, there's a UFC tonight, uh, or sorry, Saturday night. Um, you know, like people fight in weight categories. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're 100 right. You made me laugh there. Like, like so, it depends on who you're, you know, who you're, who you're fighting. 
but but the issue is way deeper than that. So what you asked me was uh, hypothetically, yeah. pound for pound, who? So listen, the reality is, in general, men are stronger. I mean, this is science. Yes. Right. But if you decided to grapple with Ronda Rousey, she's going to snap you like you're, you're done, right? If you yeah. decide to kickbox with, uh, oh God, I just forgot her name. Uh, who's the, uh, she, she, she's with uh, Jackson's in, in uh, Holly Holm. If you decide to kickbox with Holly Holm, she's going to kick the shit out of you. I was friends with Kathy Long. Most of you won't know who that is. You can Google her. But she was like one of the world's best female kickboxers. She could beat the shit out of most guys. She, she was so such a strong athlete. But what we're talking about are unicorns and outliers. And what's missing in the comparison question is what I call, I, I, I created a... a um, a lecture, an educational lecture called the four categories. The four categories are category one are traditional classical martial arts. Category two are all combat sports. Category three are reality-based martial arts. Category four is violent encounters. Category one, Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu, not Jiu-Jitsu, uh, yeah, jiu the, you know, sport, uh, not sport Jiu-Jitsu, but traditional Jiu-Jitsu. Anything that's like, this is how we do it, right? Because Remember what I talked about. I'm big into the neuroscience, big into the psychology. If you do it this way, because, hey, in Kyokushin Kai karate, this is how we punch. In Shotokan karate, this is how we punch. In Kenpo karate, this is how we punch. In Wing Chun, this is how we punch. And so one guy punches like this, and one guy's these two knuckles, and one guy's this knuckle, and one guy does a corkscrew punch. And one guy, you know, goju karate, they never extend the elbow. In Wing Chun, they extend the elbow. So every time you do your 10,000 reps, you're creating neural patterns, which people mistakenly refer to as muscle memory. There's no such thing as muscle memory, right? There's awareness, there's neurons, there's a neural pattern, right? If, if you don't know how to box and I say, uh, liver shot, liver shot, you're like, what? Is liver shot, you mean like, like a shot of liver? That's disgusting, right? Um, if, let's talk about, so, so these categories produce an unconscious or non-conscious bias. The bias isn't political. Like a lot of people, when I say, careful what you practice, you might get really get the wrong thing, are offended by it because they think what I'm doing is pointing a finger at their religion. And I'm not. I'm talking about neuroscience. And you could not like me because I'm explaining neuroscience to you, but that's kind of fucking weird. I'm trying to help. All of the classical martial arts are learned stuff through what's called block-based training. Get in this position, do this over, do this 10,000 reps, 10,000 reps, 10,000 reps, right? And you know why I'm alluding to the 10,000 rep metaphor, right? So, you know, you're the Macklemore made it famous, 10,000 hours. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell made it really famous in his book, uh, Tipping Point, about 10,000 hours. The original research was a guy named Erickson from Europe. But it was this idea, I'm summarizing this and I'm paraphrasing. If you do anything for 10,000 hours, you're going to get fucking good at it, right? So if I say to you, dig a hole for 10,000 hours, you're going to figure out for your body and mind the most effective, efficient way to dig. If I say hammer 10,000 nails and it's my first day, I come out there and I go like this and I fucking smash my hand 
if you've done 10,000, you go, dude, let me show you the hell of the hammer and let me show you the hell of the nail and line it up like this and do this and look here. You'll have figured it out intuitively or intelligently. So this is what happens in category one, all martial arts. You learn how to do it so that if you're well-versed, I can look at somebody and I can see the guy standing like this. I go, oh, he's in a Wing Chun stance. He does Wing Chun. This guy's a boxer. This guy's a wrestler. This guy's a Thai. This guy's a Thai boxer. This You can see in their body language because the neurons have been myelinated. Now, category two, combat sports. That could be competitive jiu-jitsu, sambo, MMA, Thai boxing, boxing. When you do it over and over again, right? Like if you do MMA, you start in your makeshift replication of an octagon. You know that your goal one day is to be in the UFC. So whether you're in a ring or not, you're visualizing that and it starts there and it starts like a boxing match, right? You hit gloves, you do some stuff, but you don't start at the juice bar in the, in the gym where someone goes, what the fuck are you looking at, man? Hey, I don't want to trouble. You don't start in a scenario, right? So think about this. If you're a wrestling jujitsu influenced striker who's doing MMA and a guy hassles you in the street and doesn't know your background, your go-to move might be a quick Superman punch, double leg, throw a jab, take him down because your brain knows that works because that's what you've done your 10,000 reps with, right? Same thing in Krav Maga and any other reality-based system. You do all of your gun moves where the guy, you close your eyes, you turn around, boom, there's a gun there. You do your move and there's a pattern that you practice. I'm going to clear the gun. I'm going to strip the gun. I'm going to hit the guy with the gun. I'm going to reload the gun. I'm going to jam it out. Am I, am I correct? Close, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, you're, you're correct. Okay. Yeah. So that is creating a neural pattern where maybe in some cases you're actually handing the gun back to the bad guy if you're really close, right? So you go here, the gun's here like this. I go, bang. And then I do that. Well, if he knows the same disarm, why isn't he doing that to you? And I'm making fun to make a point that maybe I need to be looking at other movements or other thoughts in there. The idea here is that if I do anything over and over again, I am, I am, I am creating more myelin, which is making the neuron fire that message faster. Mm. And so suddenly my, I'm anticipating where I'm supposed to go where maybe I'm not reading the situation. And that's all I mean by careful you practice, you might get really good the wrong thing. Let me give you another example. You turn around at an ATM and there's a guy there, no gun, strong arm robbery. He walks up to you, fucking shoves you and goes, I'm much bigger than you. I'm okay with violence. Give me your fucking money. When I say to you, Craig, what are you going to do? Right now, you're trying to download Krav Maga responses. Yes. I would do this. I would do this. If you were a boxer, you'd be downloading boxing responses. You'd be here. You go, well, whack, you know, boom. You know, you throw a, a left to the body and a right to the head. If you're a Taekwondo guy, you're thinking about how to move back so I can fucking jam a front kick or a round kick into him or side kick him. And understand what I'm saying. If anyone here, if you're a martial artist listening to this, this hopefully is blowing your mind a little bit. This is revealing in a conversation a non-conscious decision to an unconscious bias that we created in training. Oh, I love it. Yeah. We are not evaluating what is the safest thing I can do here. 
What is the smartest thing I can do? Here? And here's the thing. If, if your default move is I'm going to double leg this guy and mount him and then ground and pound him, might you not notice that he's got another buddy standing five feet away who's kind of the watch, the lookout guy, because you immediately default into that as opposed to in our system, we create we, we created a three-step protocol called the three Ds, detect, diffuse, defend. Detect and avoid, that's about all about situational awareness. Defuse, D-E-F-U-S-E, defuse and de-escalate. And then a push comes to shove, how to defend yourself. And, and the, the personal defense component of, of my system is all about initially a stun and run using the startle flinch, which is triggered in a, in a sudden fear reaction where fuck the hands come up. How do we weaponize the startle flinch? And listen, I've got hundreds of affiliates around the world. Many of them are high, high, high ranking Krav Maga experts who recognize my decades of research in fear scenario design uh, and weathering a sudden ambush. You, have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I have, yes. Okay, so the bottom tier in his triangle is survival. So the spear system metaphorically represents the bottom tier mm. that is actually the underbelly of any potential martial art. In other words, the martial art repetition, whether you elbow like this or with a hand open or closed, you follow through underneath like Cali or Thai, or you go over the top like I teach. These are all complex motor skills, but you need to weather the ambush to access the tool. If you're unconscious, scared shitless or dead, it didn't matter <laughs> what you learned. That's why I said a half an hour ago, if, if I was gonna teach you one thing in all of my, in everything I've researched in the system I put together, it'd be how to manage fear, you mm. know? So let me wrap up this four categories. Category one, all traditional martial arts, block-based training, do this, then he does this, stimulus response. It creates a very specific neural pattern. Um, Combat sports, more dynamic, but still creates an unconscious bias based on the school of thought, the philosophy of your gym. These guys like to strike. These guys prefer stand-up. These guys go to the ground. This is this game, right? Like, you know, if you're getting trained by Eddie Bravo, they have a very specific ground game, right? If you're, if you're trained by somebody else, they've got things. And these are, are from a neuroscience point of view, the bias. And because in sparring in combat sports uh, and in certain types of scenario-based training that are set up to, there's, I'm gonna say this as politely as I can, to showcase the merits mm. of that style. Yes. Right, and this is like that classic, uh, what, what was that? Uh, oh shit, I just forgot the name of the movie, classic martial art comedy. Um, uh, Everyone jokes about it, you know, you know, uh, you know, grab me with your left arm, your other left arm, whatever, whatever it was the, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember now where it was a parody of martial arts. Um, driving me crazy now. But, but what happens is we, it's an unintended consequence of just doing it this way. And um, the, the fourth category I call violent encounter. And the violent encounter paradigm shift says this, violence doesn't care. Therefore, we need to study violence and we need to study violent people. And now we will replicate based on looking at real events and go, 
does my methodology offer a solution to this problem? And if it doesn't, that becomes a capability weakness, a gap in our training. So we're never like in the spear system, my system spear is spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. It's the study of the science of the startle flinch response and how to weaponize it into a protective or a tactical response. We look at real violent encounters and we go, what would we do here? And okay, so let's do some scenarios and explore this. We're never trying to win things or get good at something. We're trying to understand and learn. Um, and that's why I say certain people in all martial arts, we have Thai boxing instructors, MMA guys, who suddenly realize like that, that when they started teaching, they just made the assumption that many of us do, that everything we do in martial arts is self-defense. But it's not really, right? And, and there's evidence of that. In, in the tactical community, my company is known as one of the few that provide evidence-based self-defense for police and military. Why? Because we everything we do, we replicate from actual encounters. So nobody can go in class, well, what are the odds of that ever happening? Oh, funny you should say that. Here's a video of it happening. This is how bad guys think and move, right? So very often we do things where we go, okay, uh, get in line. Okay, you guys attack those guys. And then that attack is stylized to again illuminate or showcase that art form. Grab me like this, and then I can do a fox sow into a bong sow into a straight punch, right? But if I if you attack me wrong, remember the Jim Carrey yes. video living color? Don't like <laughs> attack me with a knife. No, attack me like this, right? And that's really what it is. And I'm and listen, people will listen to this. And if you're feeling, if you're a martial artist listening to this and you're getting, you feel any sort of defensiveness, any sort of defiance, then that experience means that you actually unconsciously are afflicted by what I'm talking about. If you listen to this and you go, holy shit, that's true. That mindset represents uh, one of the thousands of people that train with us. Because we got people that train with me that could fucking punch the shit out of me. Like a, like a guy who's like a professional boxer who trains with us. We got military guys that train. They're better shooters than me. They're better gunfighters than me. We got, I, I got guys who are pro fighters that train with us. I can't spar with them. One of, one of the, she's now become one of my instructors. She was a pro Thai boxer who was also, I think it was three or four years ago, was, was nominated as the Krav Instructor of the Year for one of the associations. So she's one of the best Krav instructors in the world, former Thai fighter. She runs the self-defense program for Combat Sports Academy, which is like one of the best real fighting gyms in the world, CSA. Mm. She's a student of mine. How could she possibly be a student of Tony Blower's? Because she has an open fucking mind and she realizes that this helps make her students safer. Mm. If you're if you're a truth seeker, ultimately you want to learn what works. I don't see a challenge, really. You know, right? No, and you'd be one of those guys who, if you started doing my garage gym or got one of our videos, would go, "Wow!" And you would there's certain things you go, you know, 
this is similar to Krav and I like what I did in Krav. I've been doing that for three years. So I'm going to keep that, but wait a minute. I've never heard this. And this makes me smarter and this makes me safer. Why the fuck wouldn't I absorb that? Exactly. Right. Something about the spare system and that speaks to me is uh, on your about page, it says that your body and mind already know how to fight. There is a behaviorally based protective system hiding inside every single person. We are all human weapons by integrating simple, safe, natural biomechanics. You'll, you will possess a protective system based on being a human, how, how a human moves and acts. Well, something that puzzles me is how, if you look at animals, every animal, uh, maybe if it's never even been in a fight in its life, maybe just, you know, if, if it's a cat, it, it, it wrestled with its kitten friends, you know, when it was a baby, right? But right. how come every animal is a natural top fighter and just knows how to fight? It knows how to defend itself. Like uh, there was a Gila monster walking down the middle of the street and it's a pretty big one and they can bite and they'll make you a little sick if, if, if they bite you. They're not really dangerous, but you don't want to get bitten. And I went, oh man, I didn't, I didn't get this Gila monster out of the street because I don't want to see it get run over. So I go over there and I thought, well, what do I do? Okay, I'll just kind of nudge it a little bit. You know, go this way, don't get out of the right. street. And that thing turned around they have a purple tongue and mouth and he's like, ah, and I went, right. it, it scared the shit out of me. I think I could just step on it. Did you flinch? <laughs> I flinched, I flinched. I was like, ah, cause that thing, it, right. it, it may only weigh three pounds but it was scary as hell. <laughs> right. So every animal has the ability to be that uh, natural uh, airbag, have that explosive reaction. Right. So There's, where where did that go? All of every animal still has it. How come humans right. don't have it? So they do. Well, you know, without going too deep into this, you know, animals don't think about fear the way we do. So I can say something to you and scare you into immobilizing yourself. Craig, yeah, that's what's gonna happen next. I'm gonna fucking run, run, run. And you're like, ah. Where I go up to the Gila monster and I go, here's what's gonna happen. And he goes, Kish! or he fucking runs off, right? <laughs> yes. So, so it's fight or flight for them in the truest sense. Um, and, you know, I don't like watching any of those Nat Geo things where they're showing like some animal mauling another animal. People are always posting that shit online. I didn't even look at them for a second. I don't, just so you guys understand, if you're, if you're still listening to this, this podcast and you're still watching, I abhor violence, which is why I study it. Mm. And my mission in life has been to make the world safer. I was 20 years old. I was asked by a venture capitalist, you know, what do you want to do, man? I said, I want to make the world safer. And that's all I've been thinking about since 1980. How do I do it? How do I improve the system? How do I change the system, right? And uh, so I don't like to see any type of fear. I don't like seeing fear, which is why I study it. Because again, you know, you, you asked me right in the outset, how do you, you know, about maintaining enthusiasm or energy or focus? It's like, you know, if I didn't have four more meetings today, I would talk to you for like till midnight. Like you go, hey, uh, dude, my hard drive is gonna run out of space to record this, we gotta stop. Um, 
my garage gym classes are 45 minutes plus 15 minutes Q&A. They're always two hours. I can't stop teaching. I love it so much, right? I'm always telling people, oh, shit, we're supposed to stop. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I got to keep going. And, uh, and so the, 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 the idea here is, you know, when you ask me this question about animals, if you watch an animal who's being chased to its death, you'll never see the animal look over its shoulder like this going, oh, fuck. You'll never see like a look of fear on the animal's face. It's just fucking running. It's just moving. So it doesn't, and I'm using layperson's terms, it doesn't look at fear the way we look at fear or think about fear. We think about fear and we start to extrapolate. Yes. We, we, and so an animal is much more Zen. It's like, it's like left paw, right paw, left paw. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's fucking keep going. going. Oh shit, I was caught, right? And, and if it's caught, it'll play dead or submit. And it's just trying to survive. It's just thinking about the next second in its life where you and I will start to run and we go, what if we're going the wrong way? What if we get caught? What if we, and we're consuming energy and time overthinking stuff. So I use a, in our no fear program, I use a wonderful acronym called uh, that's F E A R false expectations appearing real. It's when we're visualizing a future event that is paralyzing or mobilizing us in the present. So the present is right now. We got to do something now. And I'm going, wait a second. What if we pick the wrong way? What if we do the wrong thing? What if we lose? What if we win? What if this doesn't turn out? And all of that fear is doubt creating hesitation, hesitation creating procrastination, procrastination creating fixation, and now suddenly we're fucked, right? Um, or you end up going through it, right? You get a toothache and you go, oh, fuck, oh man, I, I hope I don't need root canal. I hope I don't need my oh, wisdom, yes. right? And, but we wait until the pain is unbearable. Like nobody, nobody gets a toothache and goes, I have a toothache. Hey, Tony, hold on a second. I'm calling the dentist. I love calling the dentist. Hey, can I get a, <laughs> can you squeeze me in right away? Like nobody fucking calls the dentist right away or the doctor right away. You wait. And why do you wait? You wait because of fear. And even if you tell yourself, I wanted to see if it would go away on its own, so I waited two, three days, it's because of fear. If you're honest, you go, well, well, I was afraid it wouldn't, but I wanted to holistically see if I could just sleep it off or drink it out or whatever. So change your relation with fear, you change your mind. What we're doing is fear management changes time management. And time is the only resource you can't regenerate. How heavy is that? It's true. So, so, yes. what, so what, I was, what I was getting at is I would go spar in boxing, but I'd be like, oh, fuck. Okay, Lisa, hold on a second. Let me warm up a little bit more. Like, as opposed to like just getting the ice bath. The faster you do it, the faster the adaptation happens. The longer you do it, the longer the cortisol in your system is. The longer, so if I'm gonna if I'm gonna spar for one minute, but I worry about it for one minute, mm. then what I've done is I've consumed myself with fear for a minute, and then I've experienced the fear for a minute. But what if I think about sparring? So let's say Friday night is combatives night. And Wednesday night, the instructor goes, I've got a new drill for us on combatives nice. 
don't be late. And you're like, oh, fuck. And now, because he said that, <laughs> you're thinking about Friday night on Wednesday night, on Thursday, on Thursday night, on Friday. And the drill is how long? Two minutes, three minutes, five minutes? You do it for two minutes, stop, get a breather, get some water, switch partners. In other words, you spent 48 hours worrying about it and then four minutes doing it. What in part of the fear management metaphor is how do we eliminate the 40 hours of worry? That's not good for our system. We know that worry and stress and fear isn't good for our system. Having said that, I do want to share this. Yes. That yes. there are things in life that we must do afraid. So my no fear program, I want to get one of the t-shirts to show you guys how it's spelled. I'll, I'll, I'll grab one real quick. Yes. Um, the, the no fear, hold on one second. Guys, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, 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 How much, how much do you weigh, Craig? I weigh about 165, okay. 170. I'm going to send this is a brand new shirt. I'll send it to you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yes. Send me your man. So that's how we spell no fear. Yes. That's our no fear shirt. Love it. Thank you. So this is what most people think of when they think of no fear. They think of NO. In fact, there's a very famous, cool uh, adrenaline company, the No Fear Company. Yes. And they've been around forever. I used to have every one of their shirts. And I came up with the no fear principle teaching people about fear management, teaching self-defense in the 80s, where I would tell them the idea that you would ever get to a place where you have an no fear actually puts you at greater risk of having a wicked adrenaline dump. Because if I tell you, Okay, you just finished my public speaking course. You know, the number one fear in the world is public speaking. I don't know if it's always on the top of the list. Ridiculous, right? Not getting like dragged to a secondary crime scene and murdered, but public speaking, <laughs> is that, right? And it's, and it's funny because we see people talking and we have ideas and we get, and you know, you know, you're not paying attention when you're seven years old in class one day, you're doodling and someone goes, Mr. Blower, I asked you if you did your homework and I'm like, what? Like, and now suddenly I'm afraid to talk in class. I'm just giving a stupid example. Like why are more people afraid of public speaking than uh, sharks or violence, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. You look at most lists. So if I tell you, hey, you've now done my public speaking course and you now have no fear. I will tell you this as a professional speaker that and I, and I explain it like, to, like this when I'm, when I'm coaching people uh, and consulting, I'm explaining that anytime you change your arena slash audience, if, if you're a conscientious presenter, you will entertain more fear. So if, if you're saying to your best friend, you're going, hey, no, listen, no, 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 no. And then he goes, wow, that's amazing. Would you explain that to my coworkers here? Yeah, sure. And then you walk in and there's a room of 20 people sitting there. You're trying to replicate the connection you had with a captive audience and the rapport you had. You're trying to replicate that with this group, but it's outside your comfort zone. You haven't done any reps. There's no stress inoculation. So there's, there's this immediate performance anxiety that kicks in. 
And it happens like it's unsolicited. You don't go, I'd like some performance anxiety, please. <laughs> like you just fucking like, wow, I just got nervous. Like, whoa. And you've had that, you know, someone goes, oh, yeah, here's the guy I wanted you to meet about that new job. And you're like, man, I'm not ready. Like I fucking look undressed and fix whatever it is. We create this stress. But it typically happens again. I said it a couple of times in, in, during this call when we're outside our comfort zone. And, and so it's, it's happened to me as, as, a, as, a, as a professional speaker. And the one story I love to share with this is like for years and years and years, I do seminars. My groups are always from one to 50. And I've done bigger, I've done you know, 100, 200 people. And I remember getting invited years ago for a, a, um, a talk for the Airline Pilots Association. And it was all about, uh, it was uh, pre 9-11, it was all about passenger rage, air rage. Um, and I'm like, sure, they fly me out. And it's, it's the state representative. I was told it's the state representative national meeting for the Airline Pilots Association. Well, there's 52 states, there's 52 people in the room. I get in there, I talk for like 90 minutes, I do my thing. We take a break, I talk again, I talk about de-escalation and body language and, 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 and the science and psychology of, of, of uh, defusing a confrontation. And uh, one of the guys says, this is fantastic. I don't know, like, would you talk to the General Assembly? Because this is just the reps, which I'd been invited in for. I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, of course I will. Didn't ask any questions. They said, okay, cool. Like, you know, you know, can you do like a 20 minute talk at such and such a time tomorrow? I'm like, yeah. So I show up, the general assembly is like over 500 people. <laughs> well, what's like, what do I care if I'm talking to you, if there's 499 people behind you right now, if you say, Tony, talk to me about the spear system, I'll talk here all day like this. But if suddenly this wasn't Zoom and I put 499 people behind it, I suddenly be like going, right, as a human, I'm like going, holy fuck, this is a big crowd. Now it's outside my comfort zone. I went out there. I literally, I love telling the story because I picked up my phone, looked out behind the curtain. And I'm like, obviously, I didn't shake like that. I'm making it dramatic for the, for the podcast. I didn't go, ah, like I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And all of a sudden... I looked back and it wasn't just 500 people. There were television cameras, big ones. <laughs> and they had um, the major for the, they had a, a couple of speakers and keynote speakers and it was being covered by CNN and, and NBC or whatever. And so suddenly like there was like live TV, 500 people. And I had never done that. And I called my wife up and I said, holy shit, they just asked me to teach this. And I literally have forgotten everything I know. That's what I told her. And she goes, she says, honey, you're gonna be fine. I go, no, no, no. Like literally I'm freaking out right now. Like I was sweating, my palms are sweating. I'm vertically breathing, my got butterflies in my stomach. And she goes, you're gonna be fine. Just start talking. Yes. I go, she goes, she says, you know, you've called me and told me this before, right? Mm. I go, I have. She goes, yeah, many times you've called me and said, I forgot everything I know. And um, so I go out there and I do, the, I do the talk and I call her up and she goes, how was it? I goes, great. It was like, but it was like, you got, you, 
until you change your relationship with fear. So now if I get that and I've done certain events where, you know, like I got one coming up tomorrow night, a webinar, and I've been uptight all week because it's a new thing we're doing online and I've been uptight all week. I'm like antsy and edgy, but instead of, instead of it like being really offensive and oppressive, I don't like it because it, it's not, I'm not skipping around the house. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a serious businessman. I want this to go off really well, but I know what it is. I know it's my pre-fight adrenaline as I'm trying to get everything coordinated so that when I step into this metaphoric ring, I'm good to go. That's the self-awareness part. And that's the critical thinking part where instead of, instead of like it keeping me up all night, I go to sleep because I know what the, I know what the stress is. And that's what I mean by there are times in life where you're going to have to do things with fear and you need to make fear your friend. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you all day. I know we've gone over a little <laughs> bit, but I do want to ask, you know, so we are in a more, you know, and I don't want to sound ominous, uh, ominous or anything like that, but we are, there's a bit more fear in the air and it's a more dangerous time. Uh, like right here in Scottsdale, where I never would have expected it, we found ourselves in the midst of a riot. There was people, people were running to the backyard and it, it really alarmed a lot of people. Um, sure. But but for me, um, I kind of already had a plan for that. Right. And so I was just really kind of too busy with the plan, taking care of business, keeping my eye on things to really be freaked out. So I mean, a plan definitely happens, definitely helps, you know? Right. And so I throw that out there, but, but uh, what I really want to ask is, as we wrap things up, the three Ds, um, a lot of people will ask, you know, how do I defend myself or how do I do this or how do I do that? And they're always thinking from the end, you know, okay, now I'm in the worst case scenario. How do, what do I do about it? And it's something I've heard you speak about. It's like, well, well, why did you let yourself get there? And then even if you if you if you do have a plan, if you have some idea, then when the riot happens in front of your house, well, you've already got my checklist, got this, got that. I'm just too busy to really right. bother with the fear. You know, I don't like it, but I'm way too I I got something to do to keep right. me busy. So anyway, those are kind of two different topics, but ultimately the three D's that yeah. you speak about. If we could go over that before we before we finish up today, because there's more fear, there's more violence. And one thing that I think is truly missing that people don't quite grok quite often is it's your responsibility to keep yourself out of. And so often people could have kept, kept themselves from that worst case scenario happening. I would say right. a huge right. percentage of worst case scenarios didn't have to happen if people were aware of the three Ds that you speak of and took yeah. that responsibility. Right. So I spell responsibility with a hyphen, response hyphen ability, i.e. your ability to respond. And you got to be conscientious and honest and transparent and authentic and go, would I know what to do here? And, and, uh, and then you got to find something that resonates with you because someone, you know, person A might go, oh, you got to do this. Uh, you got to get a gun and get ready to shoot. And you go, ah, I fucking hate guns and all that stuff. Oh, then you got to do this. Like you got to find the stuff that resonates with just your worldview. So the three D's are detect, def defuse and defend, detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate. And if push comes to shove, defend yourself. You always want a system. Like I'm very conscious of creating every answer and every drill we do that runs through a legal, ethical and moral filter. 
right? Yes. And, uh, and that's and that's huge because a lot of times, you know, something can mess you up. It might be legally you're okay to do it, but it, it eats you up inside and ruins your life anyhow because it wasn't morally and ethically uh, uh, consistent with how how you've been raised and what you think. So that's an interesting uh, reframe on that. I like. But, I never heard that angle. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, but there, but the. Um, but the three Ds are really simple. They're like just literally like domino building blocks. Most confrontations start with a, I make this joke, I, I use it, I, I call it the Star Trek model. And if you remember Star Trek, you know, one of the most fabulous inventions they had was this ability to beam down to planets and beam back up to the enterprise. Yes. Bad guys don't beam into our personal space. So, you know, think about this. If I said to you, if you're practicing defense against the headlock, where does the drill start for you, for you, Craig? Mm. If I go, Craig, I want you to uh, sh show me the uh, defense against the headlock. What's the first thing that you'll do? If I say, grab a partner and Craig, you, you're the defender, you get out of the headlock. What's the first thing you would do? Yeah, uh, I guess in that situation, you would probably turn your back on the person so they can put you in a headlock. I mean, right. you, we would you do something to it, yeah. You do something like this. If this is my training partner, Tony, uh, show the class the counter to the headlock. If I said that to somebody, they will go like this, right? And let Bob put them in a headlock. So we've created a neural pattern of letting somebody put their arm around our head so we can do a counter. That's what I meant to, what I meant earlier when I said we do demos to illuminate and highlight the efficacy of our system. Look at this counter. Well, that's important. What's more important is understanding how to read and intercept a headlock. I could show you how to get out of a hangman's noose, but what would be more important is that you didn't have, you weren't in a situation where someone was saying, don't move, I'm putting a rope around your neck and I'm going to hang you. It's like, how the fuck did you get there? <laughs> yes. Right. And so, um, again, cartoony visuals to create a metaphor so that you understand. When I practice how to get out of a headlock, I'm only practicing D3, the third D, the defense. When I practice a scenario based approach, I'm practicing situational awareness, D1. I'm practicing verbal de escalation, D2. And part of the D2 uh, componentry, if that's a word, is our nonviolent postures, the Trojan horse metaphor, uh, the startle flinch, the airbag coming out, because these are the things that are that intersect. So think about this. Here's an interesting thing. If we had a jiu-jitsu guy, a Krav guy, a boxer, a wrestler, an MMA guy, a Thai boxer, a Wing Chun guy, a... Uh, um, another martial artist and everyone was sitting there. And then all of a sudden I came in, I went and I loaded the gun. I went, nobody fucking move. And I just jumped, I just appeared. How many of them would go, whoa, fuck and have their hands come up? Well, if they had any situational awareness and any territorial imperative, do you agree that all 10 of these people would go, fuck that scared me, right? Uh, yes. Right, because physiology supersedes physicality when it's a sudden stimulus 
and if the, particularly if the stimulus represents threat or danger, right? Our body errs on the side of survival, not entertainment. If I hear, and I'm out with you walking around, you know, the desert, and I hear, I don't think it's a miniature tambourine band. <laughs> no. I'm like, is that a fucking rattlesnake, dude? Right? And my, my physiology anticipates the danger. I don't go, must be a small band. I think <laughs> rattlesnake, right? Yeah. And so I present a weapon really quickly. If your physiology picks it up, you go, oh, fuck. Take it easy, man. Now, go back to what I was talking about with the four categories. The boxer is now thinking, how do I throw a punch? The MMA guy's thinking, how do I get under? The Taekwondo guy's thinking, how do I throw a kick? Our neural patterns are starting to hijack what we should do next. Somebody who trains in our system is thinking, detect and avoid, defuse and deescalate. Uh, we're thinking about calming somebody down. We're thinking about uh, positioning ourselves. We're thinking about uh, uh, improvised weapons, escape was all of these areas. So the three D's is the pre-fight to what everyone else's fight is. So I could say to you, listen, that tie kick to the head, that's going to drop the guy. That left hook to the liver, that's going to drop the guy. That double leg, that's going to take the guy down. That arm bar, that rear strangle, that's going to fucking tap the guy out, choke the guy out. That straight blast from Wing Chun, that's going to, oh, that's going to drop the guy. That friggin', you know, simultaneous block counter from Krav, that's going to stop the guy. But if you're surprised, you're all doing this. You need to weather the ambush to get back into the fight. And so... Um, I'm going to tie this back to the Star Trek model. When you do block-based training where you go do this so you can do this, you're training your neurons and you're compromising your situational awareness. So if I do 10,000 reps where I go, I want to work on that, that counter again. Grab me. Right? I've had guys in class, literally, I've had guys in seminars that I teach. I go, you two stand up and I go, Defense against a headlock, you guys know something? Yep, okay, um, why don't you defend? And the guy will go like this. <laughs> put his head down, waiting for the guy to attack, then he put a headlock. And you know, if you think back in your memory, you do that too. Yes. Because everyone fucking does that. If I say to you, show me the defense against a rear strangle, you'll go like this. I'll go to you go. <laughs> yes. You'll fucking turn around. Now, you need to do that to learn it. So everyone who's losing their mind going, I fucking hate Tony Blauer, I'm not putting you down. I'm explaining the neuroscience of pre-contact cues. There's something called dissonance. Like when, when two notes, uh, two strings are out of tune. And you go, that guitar sounds weird, or that piano sounds weird, or their voice is off there. And your body goes, mm -hmm. if something's wrong. The dissonance is what, our, is what our intuition connects with. Every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling. Yes. That's intuition. But because nobody trains intuition as part of self-defense, we do. We don't know how to choose courage. We don't know how to make that choice there. Listen, if you start a drill with your head down or your back turned, or I say, Craig, punch me in the face, and I'm trying to hit, do a block, I am eliminating the study of the pre-contact cue. Mm. And it is not 
part of my pre-fight cognitive awareness. These are just fucking neuroscientific facts. And anybody, and this is why, like the people who somebody who's gotten to this far here, this is this is the type of conversation that gets people to realize, oh, now I understand what, what Blauer and Spears about. Like they because people will see like a picture of this and they go, we do that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we 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 use instinctive movement, right? But they don't understand like like we're layers we're layers deeper than just saying instinctive movement, right? Understanding behavior, psychology, the 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 neuroscience of fear, and not being able to say oh amygdala limbic system and throw big words in there. It's understanding that if a dangerous stimulus gets introduced too quickly, your cognitive brain gets hijacked by your reptilian brain. Yes. And now you're like, Dah! and you need to explore that to recognize, okay, that might not be the optimal response in this situation. What am I going to do? So um, I, I, I've gone down 90 different rabbit holes there, but, but the, three, the, 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 the 3D stuff is all part of that. The 3Ds are just my, my Lego blocks where I go, this pops in here, this pops in here. And, and what I've noticed when I study traditional you go back to the categories, the three, four, but three, traditional combat sports, uh, reality-based self-defense, is most of them start in the D3 part or just at the D3 part, and they're eliminating D1 and most of D2, the study of D2. And what that does is that's the Star Trek model in that it's like, it's like the... I opened my eyes and we were fighting. Mm -hmm. The guy beamed down there, right? Um, and if you can study more in D1, D2, you're just safer because you can avoid shit. Listen, if you Google right now the definition of self-defense, classic definitions around the world will say the, the physical act of protecting your property or your life, something to that effect. That is the Star Trek model. The actual universal definition is star trek model meaning you know the act of protecting your property or your life that means the attack has already happened yeah. it doesn't say uh the 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 behavior of uh avoiding a potential theft or physical like so i recognized this years ago and i sat with my team and i said let's change the definition of of uh self-defense it won't be accepted yet, but maybe in my lifetime, when somebody Googles the definition of self-defense, it'll say the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. Mm. The decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. What that means is, tie this to the, my research, every victim of violence who lived to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. Mm. That means D1 was the radar blip where you went, what the fuck is that blip? But if you don't study D1, you ignore the blip. Hmm. And if you don't study D2, you ignore the blip because all your brain knows how to do is get out of a headlock. Hmm. That's amazing. And it reminds me that you're here because of your ancestors' intuition, because they knew there was a saber-toothed tiger you know, hiding around that hill right. and they went, I feel funny. And they didn't second guess it. And right. so ultimately 
it, it's funny ancestrally you know it's that intuition that was ignored sure. kept it alive we got the three eyes we teach you we've expanded it instincts oh. intuition and intelligence the three eyes yes right? instincts intuition and jokingly like uh, one of my t-shirts it says on the back uh you know uh, caveman combatants we're talking about yes you know where i say listen the reason there's no like t-rex in my class is because they're instinct i also like to make the joke that the t-rex couldn't do the spear because his arms would be full <laughs> get outside 90 but 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 the idea is like why are some animals instinct and and you know mankind humankind isn't right well part of it is 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 the fact that we can think about fear and so we can get creative um but uh you know it's an interesting thing i'm like thinking of all the, the questions you asked me that i didn't really answer yeah. well but, that's that, that's fine i mean it's, it's a deep topic we're taking on quite a lot i mean it's taken you 43 years to you know come to those answers right. so it's, it's funny because i just i just wrote an ebook on called making friends with fear you know and it's like nine pages long and and i've had people go uh i've had a couple of people say you know I thought this would be longer. I, I, I go, first go. of all, oh, you got it? Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I go, you know, like that took me decades to write that. And, and, and if I can say it in nine pages, why do you want to read 90 pages? Yeah, long books I are hate, only... Listen, yeah. which is, you know, people would ask me to write a book and I will get one out, you know, eventually. Uh, but I hate... And this is like, this is actually a comment on everything, but I'm using a book mm -hmm. as an example. You read a book and you read a chapter and you go, oh, wow, that's a great point. And then it's four more pages of nine more examples, right? And the reason it's too long or the movie's too long or the, the book is too long is because somebody said, we need the book to be this many words. Exactly. Yes. So when I wrote that, I was told by internet marketing people, two pages. I said, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write so that I actually provide value. Nobody actually goes and hires me to train their team or their family or their company, the No Fear program. Did they get the book and read that? And did some of that make them go, wow, okay, that's really interesting. I'm gonna think differently about fear. I'm going to face it. I'm going to understand it and control, control and confront it and, and get to know fear. Um, so I want to bring value. So what I was told by the internet experts, it should just be like 10 little bullet points. Yes. You don't want to give them too much, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, this is too long. I go, this is, this is as long as I want to make it and as short as I want to make it. These yeah. principles are what I want to say. It's right. perfect. It's perfect. Because publishing has changed. I mean, a lot of the reason that books are the size and the shape that they are is because they fit on a shelf well. You know, they fit in a library. They fit in um, a bookstore very well. And also, right. when you look at the longer form of books, we have to realize that we tend to look at history as a presentarian. We look at history and we don't really understand what the people were thinking back then. So right. a book was also a form of entertainment. There wasn't a phone or the internet, et cetera. There wasn't TV. So we really actually are kind of belabored by a form of writing that was you know, created, what, in the 15th, 16th century. So, right. yeah, I mean, what you're doing Long is just- Long narration, like, yeah. you know, let's talk about everything. I'm, you know- Yeah, which and, was great what, back while in you the were day. saying that, while you're saying that, Craig, I couldn't help but also think about 
I want to sign up for self-defense, but I'm actually getting long form, right? The same yes. as the book metaphor. I'm learning something that was generally generationally passed on that might've been developed when fighting was much more theatrical. Uh, and, I don't, and it could have been to the death, but it was like there was a tea ceremony before two <laughs> samurais killed themselves, right? Yes. Like you, you didn't sneak up on a samurai and fucking stab him in the in the back while he was like getting out of his uh, his his Jeep Cherokee, you know, <laughs> right? Right. Like there was like a tea ceremony and bowing and because you were going to kill each other, there was honor and tradition. Well, you know, so a lot of things have changed. That's why my four categories is important. Thing to, for everyone to reflect on and let me just say this if i don't know how big mm -hmm. your audience is as far as martial arts demographic it's going but, to get bigger now <laughs> okay. um and and i will share this too but but the, the message here is this that remember that the hundreds of people that affiliated with me to, to teach my system to their students didn't stop doing their krav or their mma or their thai boxing or their or their other martial arts this became the Maslow's hierarchy of needs metaphor. This is our survival base. It's, it's spear system. You buy a computer, it's got an Intel chip or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So Intel makes it fast and do certain things. You want to metaphorically go, have you bought the spear chip? Do you have spear inside your approach? Don't you help you in this particular, you know, sudden uh, violent encounter? Again, using that metaphor where I've got like the 10 different styles in front, the gun gets presented or I'm standing there and I'm talking to all these 10 guys and I go and I pick up my, my bottle and I throw it. Is the Kyukushin Kai going to do this? And the Wing Chun guy does this and the boxer does this or are they all doing that? If I whip a bottle at you, what are you going to do? Fuck, your hands are coming. Again, sudden stimulus triggers a physiological response. You got to weather the ambush. That's the airbag metaphor. The airbag deploys. And so our startle flinch is the equivalent of an organic airbag in a car. Imagine if in a car accident, you needed to, while you realized that a guy was running a light, fell asleep at his wheel, head on, T-bone, and you went, fuck, while you were navigating the fear and the cross-extensive reflex of locking up on your steering wheel, you had to go and lean over and go, where's that fucking airbag button? Oh, there it is. Beside <laughs> like it, it's beside the air conditioner button. Or even if it was on your fucking steering column near the near near uh, your horn. You, you couldn't do it. You can't access complex motor skills when your body is in a primal state. If you go, fuck, you yes. do that. You also can't take your thumb and put it on somebody's third metacarpal bone and, <laughs> and get them in a wrist lock. You've got to weather that initial survival reflex that's what we teach people and in that moment in the car the car accident metaphor is the equivalent of the sudden violent attack in a true violent encounter so i'm a jiu-jitsu guy getting money out of an atm i turn around and a guy slashes at me with a knife or sticks a gun in my face i'm not doing a shoulder roll and mounting the person I'm like, fucking shit, you scared the shit out of me. Taekwondo, boxing, MMA. The hardest thing for martial artists to realize, and I say this as a martial artist, so everyone, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing, I'm observing. Don't shoot the messenger. 
when you listen to theory like this, you are a martial artist because it's going through your unconscious bias. If during this talk you were going, I don't agree with Blauer, somebody kicked down your door and started shooting in the house, you wouldn't go, hang on a sec, I'm just listening to this at the end of this podcast. You'd be like, fucking shit. You'd be throwing shelf to the floor. Your hands would be coming up. In other words, the startle flinch would override anything you were doing. That's what I'm trying to explain to people. If the stimulus is right, your body has a human weapon system response. And that's, and you ask me, like, like why animals versus people? We've been domesticated. Yes. There's been a, there was a time years ago, um, Jack Donovan, who wrote the um, Violence is Golden treatise. You should read that. It's fantastic. Uh, uh, Jack Donovan wrote Google Violence is Golden. Um, he interviewed me on his podcast and I was explaining this to him. He said, we've outsourced our safety. So I always quote him when I say that, because I love that line. You know, he said, so what you're saying is we've outsourced our safety. There was a time where not that long ago, hundreds of years ago, you and I were out in the fucking jungle or the wild, wild west, or, and we had to navigate weather, mm -hmm. wild animals. And I go, Craig, I'm fucking starving. And I'm actually thinking about killing you and eating you. Uh, and you go, that's funny, because I was going to kill you and eat you. And I go, well, let's, let's, let's work together and figure out hunting and, and see if there's things that we can eat, right? Like, oh, shit, I'm sick from that. I think that's poisonous. Okay, wow, I'm fucking high from that. Let's grab some more of those mushrooms and keep them, but I can't concentrate. Oh, let's fish, let's hunt, right? And we figured out all this shit. And even a few hundred years ago, you might have been, I might've gone into town to sell some fucking pelts in the wild, wild west and some marauders came on a property and there's my wife, you know, with a, with a black powder rifle and the kids are behind her and she's on there. She's ready to get off my property. I'm going to shoot you. And it wasn't cavalier, like ready to kick ass. Her heart's racing. She's nervous because she realizes she might have to shoot somebody and she can't reload that fast. She better not miss performance anxiety. Hmm. But it was the wild, wild west. And so she adapted. As civilization grew, this is a long explanation to explain it's, it's how great. we That's great. Yeah. Is now suddenly we said, okay, we got a sheriff, we got a posse. Oh, wait, look at this. We got walls, we got castles, we got, you know, hey, that guy beat me up. I'm going to go tell the sheriff. And we started outsourcing our safety. And then we started having rules like, hey, if you fight, you get kicked out of school. If, when, when we stop learning how to hunt, how to gather, how to fend for ourselves. And now, like when I went to school, if you got in a fight with somebody, you probably were friends the next day. Yes. Now, if you get in a fight with somebody, you're worried if they're going to come back with a fucking gun and shoot everybody. Like, like the extreme of like, like the most dangerous guy in my high school was a guy that we heard kick somebody in the balls. No one ever saw it. It's like, whoa, did, did he really do that? Yeah, I heard he kicked the guy in the balls. Really? Holy fuck, that guy's crazy, right? Like, times have changed, right? But yes. here's the most important thing. I've been telling people this for years. You're the first responder in your emergency. As much as 9-11 would like to get a cop there or a paramedic there, in a real violent, you don't even have time to dial 911. 
It's your response hyphen ability. So listening to this, um, there are things you can do. You know, we created, I'll do some shameless plugging and so oh, yes, right yes, there. do so, yeah. do so for you sure. Know, yes. We, I, I created a course called the Be Your Own Bodyguard course, which is designed for good Samaritans, good humans that don't want to grapple, don't want to do jujitsu, don't want to do krav, don't want to box. They just want to they just want to go, you know what? I just want to be able to pick out danger and avoid it. If I can't, I want to be able to de-escalate it. And if push comes to shove, I want a simple self-defense program. So I created a self-defense program that was designed with the same efficiency as a paramedic teaching a first aid course. Mm. You can learn first aid skills in four or five, six hours, right? You would firefighter yes. teach you EMS. You're not a fucking doctor at the end of that course, right? So if I ask a martial artist, can you learn to defend yourself in a day? Guess what their answer is? Absolutely not. Because the unconscious bias says, so if I said to you, before you talk to me, I say to you, Craig, I'm up in the street. Hey, can you learn self-defense in one day? You go, no, it's ridiculous. I've been doing Krav for years and I'm still learning new stuff. Yeah. Because the unconscious bias puts it through your worldview. Mm -hmm. If I ask a doctor, can you learn life-saving skills and save a life using medical knowledge in a day? The doctor will go, of course, you take a stop the bleed tactical first aid. You, you can learn how to do CPR and melt the mouth and put a tourniquet on and you should, it's a good skill set. The doctor won't go, no, you got to go to a fucking medical school. Like I did for eight years to put a fucking tourniquet on. Right. Do you understand? And what yes. I'm doing here is I'm calling attention to some online bullying that transpires. When I talk about being a bodyguard, we have martial arts instructors calling it a scam, calling it a fraud because they're running it through their unconscious bias where when somebody says, can you learn self-defense in a day? Their narrative is, can you learn martial arts in a day? You can't learn how to box in a day. You can't learn jujitsu in a day. You can't learn Krav in a day, but you can learn how to pick up these danger signs in your body of what that dissonance of every victim of violence felt. And then you could learn how to choose courage and make the choice to de-escalate and, and disengage. And then you could learn using nonviolent postures, which are, these are, you can Google nonviolent posture, Tony Blauer. I got videotapes of it explaining it, where I'm taking, like, how many times have you done this in your life? Way more than 10,000. How many times have you done this in your life? Way more than 10,000. So I'm taking stances that you've done 10,000 times with words you've used 10,000 times. And then I'm creating a system and a psychology on de-escalation. And then if it's time to push away danger, I'm teaching a, an instinctive natural core to extremity movement that is over a hundred thousand year old DNA, the cross extensor chain of pushing away danger. That is what cavemen did just before they were mauled by a saber tooth tiger. If you didn't get away, you were doing this, right? And so that's actually the framework of the spear system. It's a very, very scientific uh, uh, approach to designing, and it's why I call it human weapon systems, because I'm looking at everything the human weapon, you as a human weapon, bring organically to confrontation management. And guess what the missing link is? I can show you all this in five minutes. Fingers played outside 90. How do you do the spear? How do you, how do you fucking turn somebody into a human Pez dispenser? 
smack i'll have you come up like if i go to choke you you're gonna go oh fuck your hands are here well my face is open if i if i'm in here bob's choking me and i'm going oh fuck i can go bam and come up and it's not a palm strike and i'm learning it like a technique it's just turn that fucker into a pez dispenser he's choking you i'm using natural this is part of our one day course not our trainer course and so and like it just works, but what's the one missing link? The one missing link is access to aggression. What stops people from accessing aggression? Fear. Mm. We come back to. No fear. We come back to this, that at the base of everything, if I can't manage my fear, I can't manage the fight. Mm. Perfect. Wow. Well, thank you Crazy, so right? much. That was a yeah. seminar for you, man. That was a seminar. I mean, this is great. I cannot wait to get this out. I will get this up and I will send you guys links, of course, once it's out in the next day or so. Um, this has been great. And everything really, uh, if you want to learn more from uh, Coach Tony Blauer uh, and take the uh, Be Your Own Bodyguard uh, course, and there, there's so much that's offered there. You, you can I'll, actually, I'll send you links, man, so you can just put them in the show. And, and I'll like put that, those yeah. in, yeah. And, and you can actually hang out with the coach in this gym that you see behind like what is it once a week or so is yeah so my garage gym is the most fun i've had in decades literally in the i'll tell real quick in the 80s i used to teach seven days a week i mean that's really that was my that was my crucible that was my laboratory that was my incubator so from 1977 i i, I started teaching privately then 1980 it was like a, like a full-time gig and then to 1993 when i closed it to begin doing seminars for law enforcement and um I didn't realize how much I missed group teaching. So doing a seminar for 20, 30, 50 people, five people, whatever it was, high five, you go out to dinner, you like take a picture, but then you never see them again. And maybe you stay in touch. Like I'm, I'm in touch with like a hundred people in the last 30 years that I met 20 years ago. And we're still in touch. But when I used to teach group classes, like you knew everyone's name, you knew yes. everyone's bullshit. You knew like, what's <laughs> up, man? How you doing? High five. And I didn't realize how much I missed that. I got a whole training team around the world. I got coaches in the UK, Australia, whatever, doing like running regional seminars. And um, when, when the lockdown hit and I had to pivot, I started a garage gym. Now garage, the etymology of garage is garage from old French used, used meant a place of safety, a place of shelter. Mm. So garage, so, you know, it's this isn't here where we're like we're doing like functional fitness and crossfit like stuff and like this is all tactical fitness uh i actually dropped 17 pounds since starting it um i've had people drop 30 pounds and we're not in here like running around and doing thousands of push-ups and jumping jacks it's all self-defense multiple assailant stuff it's it's uh situational awareness stuff it's fear management lectures it's written exercises it's all sorts of stuff but i'm I started taking all of the crazy drills I used to do for 13 years and I figured out ways to do them through Zoom. I would do things like if I'm teaching a nonviolent posture, I'd have everyone on the call, like we've got over 150 students in our, in our garage gym now. And we teach, we teach five times a week live, but we got people from, from Australia, from Dubai, from all over the world. Well, they can't make the live classes. Every call is recorded. So you have like almost like the Netflix of self-defense on demand. Yes. Um, we were actually uh, today. I think we recorded uh, class one hundred and fifty-three. 
Wow. So it's insane how much, how much information there is. Um, but yeah, if, if, if your schedule permits, you can engage with me live. We always do like a, like a, it's supposed to be a 60 minute class, but it's always like 90 minutes. And then I do 30 minutes of Q and a, um, but we have, we have two options. You know, we've got like uh, what I call a be your own bodyguard option. That's for the person that's more recreational. And the people that are more serious about stuff, they do what's called the elite, which gets them uh, like four classes a week. And we do a, a fifth class for public safety professionals, law enforcement, military, EMS, nurses, doctors, like people who are in that public safety space. Mm. Well, it looks and, amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah it's pretty, and I'm having the most fun because every day, like I had a class this morning, Every day, like every week I plan the course, but I know all the people. It's like, it's like if anyone remembers the TV show Cheers, yeah. it's like that. It's like I log in and they're on there early chit-chatting, talking about haircuts, talking about sports, talking about birthdays. And I literally, I love it. It's like, a, it's literally grown into a community where I come in and I'll let them talk and then I'll log in and they're like, oh, Coach Blower's here. And I'll like, I go, no, what are you talking about? Like today, what was that? Oh, you saw that movie. How was that? We're, we're chit okay, guys, let's start class. And then, we, and then we, and everyone knows each other from all over the world. So, you know, the, the silver lining in all of this was I didn't realize in 1993 when I closed my school, as hard as it was, I always say the hardest thing I ever did was close my school. The best thing I ever did was close my school because it forced me, it took me here. It, 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 it grew into this, this, you know, business that's now worldwide. And altruistically, I, like we're making people safer in all communities. So it's something I feel really good about, but I never realized until April, this past April, how much I missed coaching on a regular basis where, where I can't wait to, hopefully this freaking COVID stuff will disappear soon and we can do live. Cause I keep saying to guys, I cannot wait to do, we do like, cause we used to do twice a year, like a baddest camp and I'd have like, hundreds of people come to like Vegas or, you know, we did one ironically last summer in Rome, not mm. this past summer, the summer before. Um, and we do them all over the world. But I said, like, like, I, I know so many of you, but I've never touched you. Mm. Right. So I, I would say to them, I cannot wait for us to do a live event where no, most of the time when I show up at a live event, it's like, hi, Mr. Blauer, I'm a big fan of yours. And I'm like, oh, can I get a picture? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let me give you an autograph, like whatever. It's, it's, it's like literally like a, like a book launch where yes. you're hi and you are, right? You don't know anyone. Where now I'll know hundreds of people who get to this event and it'll be like, Ronaldo, dude, Alice, holy shit. Like you just know people from, you know, spending months together. Yeah. Kind of cool. Anyways. I hope some of you, some of you are 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 into it and try it out because it's uh, any level. You come in and you start at the beginning. You, you scroll through. It takes you through nonviolent postures, the the way we teach uh, uh, weapons. The way when I say weapons, I mean personal weapons, empty hand weapons, um, and leads us all the way up to advanced drills. Mm, wow. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Coach Tony Blower. And uh, it's all there at blowerspear.com. Uh, also, you'll send me the links and I'll put them in the show notes. And uh, yep. it's been great talking to you. I think we helped people and it's, it's wonderful. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You had some great questions. I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Take care.